Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Caramelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. Are you saving your money? Yes. A lot? Um, we're hitting our savings goals. You're looking at me like you're so confused. <laughs> okay, let me tell everybody the story. Many years ago, Mr. Popovich here mm. had a conversation with his brother about if Taylor Swift ever comes to town, oh. <laughs> he will have to take his kids and his his brother and family members. So now we're talking a large group here. Taylor Swift has made her announcement next fall. No, no, no. Toronto. Six days of performance. We're hearing the average spend is going to be $1,800 per person. And you said you're going to be buying. I did throw a caveat in. I oh, said, I, can t I get to pick the place. So he said great, I want this concert. I said, well, I get to pick the place. So if I can find it cheaper. You're not going to find it cheaper than a direct flight to Toronto. You're going to be staying at your in-laws' yeah, house. Yeah, with you, everybody. I'm moving everybody you in. You cannot, and they'll, you'll still with spend no, 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 no. Yeah. $1,800 to $2,000 a person. Awesome. Because I know you won't wait online to buy tickets. You'll have to buy it in the secondary market. I've got two children. Mr. Popovich is going to be saving money like crazy. <laughs> the economic spending category is going to go down because you're not spending any money because you're saving to go to Taylor Swift. I love it. Okay. <laughs> oh boy, I didn't realize it was so bad. I okay. love it. I love it. All right. Well, aside from Taylor Swift, let's, let's talk a little bit about what's going to be on the show and a little bit about what happened in the markets because it wasn't just the Taylor Swift effect on inflation this week. Yeah, we're seeing more and more people move to Calgary. Where are they coming from? Is it within Canada, international? Yep. Why Calgary? What's the supply like? What's the impact to people? How long is this going to last? Right. This is going to be a very interesting topic. And then yep. we also have another topic that's close to both of us now. Yeah. We're talking about Unfortunately, dementia. you've joined the, uh, your family has joined the crew here. Yeah. So my father has been diagnosed pretty early right now of dementia. And um, now we're in the in the early stages of retrofitting his home. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm interested about this one case or this one story particularly is that it's it's uh, determining driving yeah. capabilities. Well, and driving is such a it's 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 attached so heavily to our independence, right? This is one of the toughest things whether you have dementia or not. As you age, right? As your capacity diminishes to be able to drive, People are generally reluctant to do it, but in dementia cases, it's even it's it's even a, a more special set of circumstances. So, how do we accurately assess that, right? Yeah. For the safety of everybody, uh, everybody involved. We've had a very interesting week in the markets, economic and earnings numbers. This was probably the busiest yeah. earnings week in the U.S. Particularly, also came across to Canada. The telecommunication industry didn't do so well, uh, generally speaking, in Canada yep. on their earnings numbers. The U.S. had some tech companies that took a lot of the limelight uh, uh, amongst a whole bunch of other companies uh, that are economically driven, cyclicals we call them. Um, but but the was, earnings were okay. The earnings were okay. S&P earnings are okay. 80% of companies are beating. Okay, Their, their earnings are contracting when you look year over year. Correct. But the amount of contraction has been steadily falling. Right. So market coming into the earnings season, pricing in something worse than what's playing out. So better than bad is good. Yeah, better than if you do better than ex expectation, and expectations are being priced one way, that's a good news story, right? So there has been some resilience economically, in earnings better yeah. than what was uh, what was expected. But it's not to say there isn't a contraction happening. What about this short term? I call it the uppercut punch 
to the U.S. when the <clears throat> rating agency Fitch came out and downgraded the U.S. credit rating. Yeah, the credit worthiness of the U.S. That was a surprise to the market. Now, in fairness, Fitch did put them on negative watch on the U.S. government or U.S. credit worthy worthiness on, on watch. But I would say generally it was a surprise. Everybody was generally caught off guard by that. Market doesn't like surprises. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that maybe markets took it, sold off. You saw yields go higher on that. But if we go back to the S&P 500 downgrade, 11 years ago? 2011, I think. Yeah, it was, yeah, something like 11, 12 years ago. Um, you know, we've been through this before. They tend to be, it tends to be pretty short-lived. Um, now, we did have some high-profile names providing some commentary on this downgrade, right? Yeah, and we had, we had Jamie Dimon, and we had Warren Buffett, we've had uh, Elon Musk, of course. Can't, Janet Yellen. Can't keep quiet about that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, Dimon was interesting, though. Well, well let's, let's, let's kind of pivot from this point on when we as, as Canadians or non-Americans look at this and go, oh my God, it's gonna be a big issue. Right. The US has a bit of a pass. You know, like the star athlete in high school, sometimes they don't follow the rules. Sometimes they, they're not, you know, behaving properly, but they kind of get a pass because they're the star, right. star athlete of the school. US is the star athlete in the global economy. Right. And if they get downgraded, if they've got higher debt, they get a pass because they're, they are the reserve currency. Where are people gonna go? So as Canadians, and, and I've heard quite a bit of this from, from our, our, our listenership, about, well, the US is gonna go down. Well, who's gonna replace it? Right. Where would you put your money? Right. And if you're so confident, why aren't you putting your money there now? Right. Why are, you know, when they, where are we going to go? All to Europe? We're going to go well, to China? You know, the, the gold bugs will say gold. We didn't see a massive increase in gold. But in order for it to be gold, there has to be a utilization of gold globally. As a, well, as currency. That's right. Yeah. So so let's go to what Diamond said. I, I agree with you. I think this is going to be a very short-lived event that we've seen before. His, his comments to me, uh, you know, made sense. He says, listen, ultimately the market's going to determine what the borrowing costs for the U.S. government are. Period. Not not Fitch, not any credit rating agency. Correct. Okay. So, and I agree with that. Right. He singled out Canada a little bit, um, which was an interesting comment. He said, you know, you take a look at a country like Canada, who's got a higher credit rating by the credit rating agencies than the U.S. does, but Canada, as an example, relies on the U.S. for stability and for the strength of their military. Correct. Okay. Interesting comment. Um, so, listen. I go back to his first comment. The first comment is the market will determine the pricing, and now we go back to what you said. Where will the global flow of capital go. And that will ultimately determine what the pricing is going to be. And this is where whenever there is concerns about the US, and I'm not suggesting that the US will be the superpower forever. Right. I'm just saying they're the superpower for now. For now. Yeah. And until things change, they're the superpower for now. <clears throat> and the question we need to ask is, well, let me back up here. There, there, people go into two different points of, of uh, comments. They'll talk about here's the issue and here's the outcome. The outcome is the US will no longer be the superpower of the world or the reserve currency or whatever it may be. Okay, what has to happen in between those two points? It's not today we're all on the US dollar, tomorrow, literally Sunday, right. we're no longer gonna use US. Right. There has to be some lead up to that. It's not a surprise the world is doing anything. Have we ever done anything as a as a world, the same time, all together, no. all no. agreed to it, done deal? No. Never. Yeah. So why do we have that mentality that 
the U.S. is going to fall, and therefore we need to look at that. And if anything, like Jamie Dimon said, as Canadians, <clears throat> we are so dependent on the U.S. If the U.S. falls, how does that benefit Canadians? Right. It doesn't. It, it, well, okay. That, that, that's a more complicated <laughs> so, answer. Yeah. But. So I think that's where you know we need to kind of look at that. Yeah. We need to look at understanding what the bigger picture is. And when, when the heavyweights of the financial world, Jamie Dimon, um, uh, let's even talk about Warren Buffett, you know, all the, the capital didn't flow out. Mar markets will determine where that money goes. We did see a spike in yields, interestingly, uh, and it coincided with that announcement. So you could say on a temporary basis, some investors demanded sure. more premium. But you know what? Uh, early on the trade on Friday, I was noticing that it started to, to unwind. And if, you know, what happened with the S&P downgrade, uh, you know, it follows that. We'll see that dissipate over time. Uh, but it did have an effect on markets. Right, that was used as a catalyst, rightly or wrongly, short term for some for some selling pressure. Short term impact, areas of opportunity. I see it. I think when when you worry about the strength of a country, you have to do a full analysis. And if you're going to look at that and say there's a problem, I want you to feel that problem even more. I want you even to act. I want you to get rid of all these good companies. Yep. Sell them to me at cheaper price because you're so scared. You're so and greedy. I, oh, I want. I love when they, you know, <laughs> even the earnings that came out. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at a couple of tech companies, let's pick on two of them, Amazon, Apple came out on Thursday night, and you see one taken off because they've got some better guidance. One didn't give as great guidance, but had good numbers, and they got like hammered three, four percent right out of the get-go. Yeah. Okay, keep on selling a good company at lower prices, keep on selling it down there, because then it's shopping time for us. So I like that. Right on. I like that. You know, uh, we're seeing a lot of migration into our city, uh, Faisal, and when people migrate here, they got to buy houses. Yeah. Um, and so what's going on in that market and what are we seeing from a migration perspective? These rents are, you know, the, the vacancies are low. What's the inventory look like? Lots of questions. What what will that ultimately do to prices well, you're of getting, houses? You're getting people coming, you're getting agents coming to your house saying, I've got a buyer to buy your house. Yeah. Well, I'm getting the same that, thing, yeah. you know, um, what I find interesting right now also, this is an impact to some people's retirement. Yep. And, and why would people moving to Calgary impact a Calgarian's retirement? Well, they want to support their family members. Right. And they're, because it's harder to find a home or more pricier, they actually are helping their adult children by taking money out of their, their savings to help them. So there, there is some impact that ripples through more than just uh, seeing their, their adult children struggle to find a yeah. home, yeah. they're also paying for some of that as well. Well, and people are also coming to Calgary to retire. Yeah. Right? Taking money out of properties in more expensive cities, buying here, and using that to fund their retirement. And so if you're from British Columbia, you know there's more of a beautiful place than BC. It's Calgary, Alberta. <laughs> and if you're from Ontario, why the heck would you want to live in Ontario? Just come to Calgary. That's How about right. that? <laughs> That's, we've got a terrific guest to help us understand this market, Nadine Fole, who's a real estate agent. But she specializes in people that are relocating to Calgary. Nadine, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. Okay, so you've chosen a specialization to work with people relocating to Calgary. Tell us a little bit about what you're what you're seeing. So what what I'm seeing is like so I, I do specialize in relocation, but of course I also do a lot of work with uh, the French community. I'm I'm originally from France, and what I'm seeing right now um, is kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, so people are relocating to Calgary. Is it's like this this. Big relocation started pretty much last year. 
And so the first thing that I started to notice was people from Vancouver and from Ontario calling me like crazy uh, to buy properties in Calgary because, of course, our prices were so much cheaper than those two large cities that a lot of those people, it's like for the same, for $800,000, they could barely get an apartment in those two cities. So coming to uh, Calgary, and when I say Calgary, I'm referring to Calgary and surrounding areas, okay? So I'm, I'm referring to Calgary, Cochrane, Airdrie, Okotoks, Chestermere. Uh, that seems to be, it's like the, the four towns where people are looking. And so at, at the time for $800,000, they could buy something that was so much better than what they could ever afford in Vancouver or Toronto. So this is, this is where it kind of started. Then from there, I saw uh, a lot of investors. Suddenly, uh, a lot of investors uh, from same thing, Toronto and Vancouver, calling me and starting to buy apartments like crazy. Like some of them would buy two apartments in a week. That, that is the reason why they were buying in Calgary, because the numbers were, were working. So that was the other group of people that were relocating to Calgary. And then I found out doing a lot of work through uh, the French community that um, there is a lot of advertising that is done about moving to Alberta uh, in, in Quebec, but also actually in France, like uh, in, in, um, in Europe, uh, they're advertising Alberta like crazy. So all those people is like, you know, are calling me up because they want to buy in Calgary because that seems to be the promised land. It's like, so Calgary has become like the, 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 the gold rush. It's like everybody is coming here. And now what we're seeing, of course, it's supply and demand. And we just, we just don't have enough product to accommodate all the people relocating to Calgary. Nadine, I just want to ask a question about um, the buyers. So let's go through an example that Dave and I experienced. Um, when we're getting people approaching us wanting to buy our own homes. Now, we're not in the market to sell, but we're still getting people that are approaching us. Um, and the question we always ask, of course, because of our background in the investment world is, how much of a premium are you prepared to pay above, let's call it market rate right now, considering there's so little supply? Is there a lot of people prepared to pay above a premium? And let me give you the example as well as what I'm talking about. In Toronto and in Vancouver, when things were going crazy there, people were paying 20, 30% above asking. What kind of premium are we expecting or are we seeing in Calgary? Uh, and, and is it coming from Canadians or is it coming from the international community that's paying that premium? Uh, what's, what's happening is, um, and I don't have, like I haven't worked out the percentage, okay? But I'm going to give you some example. So on Saturday, is just like I did an open house. So I, I put this property on the, on the market uh, on Friday, okay? I did an open house on Saturday. Before I even opened the door, I already had nine offers. And then at the end of the at the end of the day on Saturday, I ended up by having eleven offers, and this home sold for eighty thousand dollars above asking price. Uh, I've heard of another realtor. It's like where it was a house listed over a million dollar, and uh, those people went over a hundred thousand dollar above asking price. So. Having competitive offers in Calgary right now 
is is something that happens every day. Um, I I would say pretty much it's like all the properties, especially the single family homes that are coming on the market. Um, I I, I would say uh, probably ninety percent of them is just like are getting competitive offers. And that uh, ask above or offer above um, list price is that coming primarily in your experience? from locals, from Quebec or Ontario, BC, or is it international, like from Europe that are paying that, that above asking? Um, I, I would say it's just like, you know, a lot of the people would be from outside of Alberta. So uh, again, I'm going to keep on referring to this example because it just happened, right? So uh, my, my listing, the people that paid $80,000 above asking price actually were relocating from Arizona. Nadine, what is your forecast, given that, and we know that the supply is low, and we've got migration coming here internationally, uh, domestic, so on and so forth. What does it look like? What does the market look like, uh, you know, over the next 12, 24, 36 months, however far you're looking out? Well, from the bottom of my heart, I really think it's like we're going to keep on seeing this, this craziness for at least another year or so. And, and the reason why I'm saying this is like I've been selling real estate for 33 years. And what I'm seeing right now has nothing, is nothing compared to the other boom that we've had before. Um, it, it, it's, we, we've never had a sort of shortage of properties like we, like we do right now. And when I talk to people relocating from Europe, remember that those people, when they, when they buy in Canada, it's like they're, uh, uh, purchase power is a lot higher because it's like they're coming with euros, right? So you're looking at people from Europe coming with euros. Well, yes, Calgary has gone up considerably, but it's like I I know when my 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 family come from France to visit me, they they're like they they think they can buy anything because their the euro is so high. It's just like uh, and so that's that's the number one. The number two is it's like, you know, I mean, pretty much the same thing with Americans, but people that are relocating from Toronto or from Vancouver, even though they still, they, they, we have the same currency, uh, they, they feel like the same. And and really, I don't think that the interest are, like, they, they can't keep on jacking up the interest. I really don't think it's going to slow down the market like they're, they're hoping uh, it's going to happen through the rest of Canada. The other thing that I find very interesting, and without going into politics, because that's certainly not my job, but I'm also finding that uh, a lot of people from Quebec, a lot of people from Quebec are relocating to Calgary. And this, this segment of the market, uh, they're, they're really not gaining anything coming to Calgary because real estate in Quebec is still lower or pretty much similar than it is in Alberta, but they're actually leaving for political reasons. We have to leave it there, Nadine. Uh, Faisal, we had talked in, in this show about the fact that both our families are uh, affected to various degrees with, uh, with dementia, and many Canadian families are. Um, and one of the things that happens is, uh, you know, for somebody with dementia is uh, a loss of, of independence, and often that comes through things like driving, right? And boy, when do you give up driving for your own safety, for others' safety? How do you assess that? It's a complicated issue. Yeah, it is complicated, and it's it's never the individual. In my experience with clients and family members, 
it's not usually the individual <clears throat> who says, I think I should stop driving. Yeah, it's true. It's kind of been told to them that they have to stop driving. Right, right. Now let's explore that a little bit. Saya Bayat is with us. She's a PhD assistant professor of biomedical and geomatics engineering at the uh, Schulich School of Engineering. Uh, first of all, Saya, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. You've got, um, you've got a big job here, but I am, I'm interested if you can, um, in a relatively short period of time, give us a bit of a, a, a heads up as to what your research is, uh, is focusing on within this area of dementia. As you said, driving is a really important factor for a lot of individuals uh, in their uh, older age as well. So a major challenge in dementia care is determining the point at which driving safety becomes significantly compromised. And we know that driving, uh, we know that dementia impacts fitness to drive. But uh, one thing I want to highlight here is that diagnosis of dementia alone is not enough for us to tell people to stop driving. In fact, people at early stages are uh, safe to continue to drive and often they would like to continue to drive because driving is their only mode of transportation. Um, currently, physicians are expected to play a role in this uh, decision-making process. What they do is they ask people to uh, complete a couple of questionnaires on their cognition, and based on the results of that, they uh, kind of inform people whether it's safe for them to continue driving or not. What we want to do is we want to enhance and improve this process. Uh, we want to use digital technology using AI methods to better understand actual driving uh, patterns of people in their naturalistic environments and then flag the points at which driving decline is happening and the points at which maybe their driving is becoming unsafe. So what are, what are some of the ideas that are being done uh, right now that we can help doctors with this? And how do we support family members who generally don't have the decision in the SEA, they just have to follow along with whatever the doctor says? How do we get both of those parties involved? Because I think that's a, that's a key bridge that has to be done. Yeah, exactly. So physicians actually currently um, often express discomfort in their role in this process because it's a really difficult conversation to have and the techniques and assessments that they use often they're proxy measures for driving. Uh, they don't have very high, high predictability uh, value in terms of uh, uh, predicting driving performance. So what and uh, it's the same thing with the caregivers and family members as well. They often notice some changes in driving performance of patients. And I think it's important for us to have these open conversations with um, patients themselves, but also showing them some of these um, driving patterns. So we take videos using this technology, we can take videos um, of some driving behaviors that happen that might be unsafe and maybe having a conversation showing them some of these patterns would, would make that process a bit easier. Let's talk about the technology application and, and solutions that you've been working on a mobile tech solution. Uh, let's get into a bit more of, of, of a detail about that. Make it high level because Dave and I are not very strong on the tech side of things. Uh, walk us through uh, the solution that you have. 
Yeah, so we are using a GPS-based technology that collects passive data. Uh, this technology can easily be installed into uh, patients' own vehicles, and it can collect data as they drive in their everyday neighborhoods, everyday environments. Um, and what we want to do is, again, we want to learn more about their actual driving behaviors as they're uh, going through their typical routes. Um, and we want to look at these patterns over time with the progression of dementia and correlate the changes in driving with the progression of dementia and identify um, any significant changes. All right. Well, that's going to be a lot of data, boy. I think if Saya put that on in your car and my car, it might show some odd driving patterns. Well, you're just a bad driver. That's the problem, Dave. That's the real problem. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, your general thought, so I know you're in, in this research, and I don't know if it's too early to draw any conclusions uh, on your research yet, but are there any general patterns that your data is showing, areas... Uh, you know, where technology can help and assist uh, people in this, in their driving decisions or when they should quit driving? Anything that you've seen yet that's come out? Um, there's a lot of resources available about uh, the conversations that caregivers can have with the patients themselves to kind of help with this process. Um, there are some studies that show that there are typical patterns that uh, we can see uh, at early stages of dementia or moderate dementia. For example, uh, people often might have a difficult time turning left at a signal, or they might tend to underspeed more, um, or they tend to um, not want to travel at nights. So there's some some self-regulation there as well. So these are some of the patterns that people can can look for if if they're dealing with this. So uh, we're going to leave it there. I want to thank you very much uh, for joining us, and we appreciate the research you're doing. Clearly, this is going to be an area that's going to impact more and more Canadians all the time. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks very much for having me. You know, um, Faisal, we've talked a lot about technology. So whether it's dementia or just aging in general, right? One of the areas that can improve quality of life, quality of care, safety, all of these different things is going to be technology. Yes, we have to do the research to find the issues, but technology is going to help us, um, I, I think, drastically as, as we age. Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely <clears throat> true. Uh, we're seeing in other countries, I'll pick on Japan being one of them who are... Um, have been forced to use technology to keep things yeah. going. Yeah. It's not like they've got an influx of, of people doing the, the labor, but they're using technology to help everybody yeah. as they age. Yeah. Um, so that, that kind of gives us two paths. One, uh, I'll quickly talk about the investment side because uh, that's what I do for a living. There's, I mean, there's huge opportunity in the investment world uh, over the next, call it 20, 30 years of all this technology evolving. So I'll just leave it at that. But number two, um, the hardest part of when technology comes into play, and I'm and I'm going through this mm. right now. Yep. I am trying to get my 80-year-old father all teched up. Not that he has to use the technology, just that it's there so we can help him. That's right. He is an individual, like many Canadians, who want to age in place. He doesn't want to um, go into a facility as of now. And so there's different types of technology that keeps the family, give them a peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And there's technology that can provide them to give them safety. Yep. They're not always the same thing. Right. And so understanding that there's, there's 
two parts of the emotion and, 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 and safety that has to be taken a look at. It determines how you plan for this. This is one concern that I have of the next generation of retirees. You're experiencing it, I'm experiencing it. There's these, this group that's gonna be waving into retirement. They'll have to take care of their aging parents and have to take care of themselves. And they also wanna have a life. They also wanna travel. They also wanna do a whole bunch of other things. And they're gonna get pulled in every direction. Technology is that bridge. And so how do you plan for that is the health bucket. Right. And when you talk about a health bucket, it's not just planning for yourself. It's planning for the generation above and below you. Yep. Um, yeah. Faisal, there was a very interesting report came out um, for uh, for pension, uh, the Pension Leadership Council. Here's the number one observation, okay? Okay. Canadians consistently report preferences for predictable, lifetime guaranteed retirement income that's inflation adjusted. That sounds lovely. And you know what? Um, this is 2016 to 2022. That hasn't changed other than their need for that, people's need for that has gone up a little bit, and that's not surprising given we've just gone through a high inflationary environment. Yeah, and you'll, you'll find um, that what people want in life in general is some sense of certainty. Yep. And when you don't have certainty, then the anxiety level goes up, right? The stress level of not knowing the future Absolutely. goes up. And so then you react based on that anxiety or yep. stress. Yep. And so what Canadians are basically saying to the leadership council is that um, we want to see more and more guarantees or security of our income in our future. However, however, 60% of Canadians do not have a pension plan at work that gives them that sense of security or guarantee. That's right. That's right. Nor can they rely on the guarantees of CPP and old age security on their own. To fully fund their lifestyle. To fully fund their expenses. Yeah. We say lifestyle, but it might just be expenses. Fair. Fair point. There's three pillars, right? When you think about retirement income, um, and let's break it down. There's the public pensions that you get, Correct. right? OAS, perhaps. Um, CPP. CPP and maybe GIS, right? Yep. Whatever the case may be. The second, which is the one you've just identified, which is uh, private pensions. That, over the past 30 years, have been drying up for many Canadians. Access, right, to a, uh, a, a company-funded pension plan, um, which leaves us, a defined benefit pension plan, for sure, which leaves us then with the third pillar, which is our own personal savings. Now, in an environment where house prices have gone up and things have gone up, sometimes the savings are a struggle too. So we, we got to make all these things fit, right? And ultimately support the expense profile that somebody has in their retirement years. So, so let, me, let me take a little bit of a, of a commentary about our industry. The, our industry knows this is a problem. Mm -hmm. And our industry has said, here's a product that will solve your problem. Our industry has said, here is the investment you need to go into to solve that problem. Right. Here's what our industry is not addressing at this point in time. What's the process and how much security do you have? Not here's a one ticket solution right. to your problem. For everybody, right? And so what's frustrating is that the business of providing a financial product has been leveraged 
on the fear that the Canadian wants some certainty. So here's a product that will do it. And I'm sorry, but there's no one product that does it. Yeah. It's process, you said. Structure. It's structure. And it's discipline. In combination, those three things create a strategy for you. And so when people try to build a retirement future, <clears throat> they are in the most vulnerable stage of their financial situation. They've just left their employer. They've just sold their business. They're now ready to quote unquote retire, live off their savings. And they don't have the fortune of a large pension plan to cover the lion's share of their expenses. We're talking about those. That's the lion's share of Canadians, okay? What do they do? They go to a financial institution, mm -hmm. say, help me about my financial problem. And what does the financial industry in general do is, here is the product right. that you purchase. So let me give you a couple of key findings as we develop this. Canadians are less confident that they will attain their financial objectives. 100%. Notably in 2022, there was a 15% decrease in Canadians reporting that they were confident that they'll be able to retire at the desired age. I'll read one more. Canadians are hesitant about managing their retirement savings themselves. Consistently, less than half of the respondents reported that they were well-informed about any retirement source of income. So let's take it beyond that. Okay, it's not just about product, it's about process, right? It's about strategy, all those things we talked about. But it's also about understanding nobody lives on pre-tax income. They live on after-tax income. Correct. And all of these different wonderful tools that have been built over the time by our industry and, and through government policy all attract different rates of tax. And things have changed. You know, in, in a previous show, I had this conversation with Leanna. And it's a great observation that she also made on this, was in our grandparents' generation, they would be literally on a fixed income. Right. They would be on pension plans, public and private. Yep and they would live off that money. They would make things work within that dollar right. amount, whatever they were given. The fixed income. That's right. the concept of I'm on a fixed income. Right. Okay, fast forward to 2023, people are not on a fixed income. They're on a variable income. They can choose to take more, take less. They can choose because they're dipping into a savings pool, either investments or not, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But they're dipping into a savings pool. So now you're taking away the, the certainty yep. and giving them the option, which many like to have options, until you have options and you become paralyzed from those options. Because you there's be uncertainty. Because so there's like uncertainty. That's right. I want certainty, but I want flexibility. Right. right. Well, how do you do that in a product? Right. It doesn't provide that. And so he insert again, the process, the structure, the discipline, the approach you need. If you're dealing with a fi financial professional and they are not providing you with more than just the product, right. the financial instrument, you need to start asking more questions. And we often, we talk about the complexity of this period of your life. And I mean, this is part of it, right? It goes well beyond this too, but income is the number one area when people are saying, can I do this? How am I gonna do this? And then it's the mental health issues and everything that this report really identifies with respect to the uncertainty, mm -hmm. right? So not only do you have to get the income piece right, okay? And that's a very different approach 
than the growth piece because they also said inflation here. You've got to inflation protect. And so you need, you need a strategy that also grows over time to ensure that the purchasing power of your capital supports it. I truly believe if you are living off your savings or going to live off your savings to fund your retirement, and you're not on 100% fixed income from a pension plan, then you need a financial team that's gonna help you there. Yep. You can't do it yourself. You can't just have a money manager. You can't just have an accountant. You can't just have a lawyer. You gotta have a team of people. <clears throat> and the more money you have, yep. the more complexity you have. <clears throat> when you have more accounts, different types of accounts, Absolutely. the more complexity comes into play. When you have dynamics in your family, the complexity comes. When you have healthcare issues in your family, the complexity Absolutely. goes up. Complexity is going to increase as you age, full stop. And so you cannot just do this by yourself or with a financial instrument, right. a financial product. It yeah. just doesn't work that way. And those are the things that we're gonna cover at our upcoming seminar on Tuesday, August 15th, 7 p.m. at the Carriage House Inn. Now you need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. One last key finding. Canadians consistently prioritize maintaining their living standard in retirement as a key financial objective. Right? That's what people want. What is the purpose of that money? It is to support my standard of living as I move into retirement. And here's what they also said in the report. <clears throat> People are less concerned about traveling now. Yeah, if they yeah, can't make, yeah. oh, they're less concerned about traveling. Traveling is their biggest budget right. in their retirement. Right. I, I don't understand why people think, oh, I don't travel a lot, <laughs> so therefore my, my lifestyle or my cost of living is low. Yeah. No, it's not. It has nothing to do with just traveling. Right. We think that's the most expensive thing. It's not. It requires what? Process, yep. structure, structure, and discipline. And discipline. Okay. Uh, let's leave it there. I think that's a terrific place uh, to wrap it up. On behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, I want to thank you for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on QR Calgary. We look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.